0: Welcome to Inspire Churches podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or to donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. You know, the circumstances surrounding uh, the birth of Jesus, I think, um, well, I know uh, were a lot darker than we think. Um, in fact, we tend to kind of, and I'm not knocking this at all, I think it's beautiful. We have our nativity scenes and we have our lights and we have all the beautiful things we do to celebrate the beauty of Christmas. But I think it's really good to understand that that first Christmas wasn't as beautiful as we think it was. Um, for starters, for starters, This story that we celebrate is super scandalous. Um, What do I mean by that? You know, today, we revere Mary. But during that first Christmas, she was a pregnant teen and who couldn't prove who her baby daddy was. She was a pregnant teen who couldn't prove who the father was. Not only that, but she had broken the heart of her fiancé Because one thing we knew for sure, he was not the father. In fact, the best Mary could hope for in an ancient Mideast patriarchal society was for Joseph to have mercy on her, divorce her privately, and then she would pray that her family would not disown her because she had brought shame to their name. You see, for Mary and even for Joseph, that first Christmas was filled with moments of both great sorrow and great joy. You with me? But even after overcoming those difficulties, darker obstacles laid in wait. It lay in wait. Because of a decree made by a foreign ruler, Joseph had no choice but to take the nine month pregnant Mary on an uncomfortable 90 mile journey to Bethlehem from Nazareth. And once they arrived, they couldn't find a place to rest because every hotel room had no vacancy. Ladies, can you imagine? Are you ready for this? Your honeymoon, your baby moon. And your delivery room all being experienced in the same unsanitized conditions of an ancient Mideast one star motel room. Thank God, Mary didn't, or thank God, he didn't choose some of you to have his baby. I'm not staying there. Not only was the first Christmas. An emotional roller coaster, but it was one of the most unpleasant and unforgettable experiences, uncomfortable experiences of their lives. And they were just newly married. But perhaps the darkest moment of the entire story was revealed to us in the gospel writer of Matthew. We're told that at some point after the birth of Jesus, a decree was made by a psychotic, jealous king who heard a rumor of a Messiah. And this decree that came from this king was made, and this decree was that every baby boy under the age of two in the region of Bethlehem, Judea, should be executed. During that first Christmas, soldiers barged into homes, took baby boys from the arms of their parents and brutally murdered them with the law on their side. Listen to Matthew quote the prophet Jeremiah as he described that first Christmas season. A voice heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentations. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. The only reason Jesus survived was because Joseph was warned in the dream, in a dream, by the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear me out. So Joseph quickly gathered his family, fled to Egypt, and literally became a refugee, fleeing the law and seeking asylum on foreign soil. Can I give you a Christmas challenge this morning? You're going to get it anyway. As we celebrate, can we also pray? Can we humble ourselves and allow the darkness of that very first Christmas to remind us of the darkness that still exists today during this time and this Christmas season? Can we pray for the 17 million Yemenis at risk of starvation? Can we remember the 900,000 abortions that take place in our country every year? Can we pray for the single mothers who are impoverished, pressured, and feeling like they have no other options? Can we also pray for those war-torn countries, refugees seeking asylum, and immigrants who are honestly and sincerely running for their lives? This is not a political statement and I know it feels that way because of the times we live in. This is an appeal to the people of God to be compassionate on Christmas to the fact that not everybody is going where you're going and living where you're living experiencing what you're experiencing. I'm not asking you to be political. I'm asking you to be prayerful and I'm not asking you to be critical this Christmas but I'm just asking you to be compassionate. Can we pray regardless of where you fall on the line? Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we humbly recognize that man cannot solve his problems. We do our best, but we need the lordship of Jesus. No king, no president, no nation can ever put into any type of law anything that could bring but only you will bring at your return. And so we ask for all the children who are suffering throughout the world. We ask for all the parents who are running, confused, frustrated. Lord, we ask that as we celebrate family and we celebrate Christmas, I ask if there's anyone in here suffering. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak, your words would bring hope of greater that's coming in you, and that one day everything will be made new. And so I pray that every family represented here would focus on you and focus prayerfully, Lord, on those that are in need of hope in this dark time. And we ask that you would be with us this morning. Your word would speak in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. It was in the midst of that darkness that there was an explosion of glory the night that the Savior of the world was born. There was an explosion of glory in in the form of announcement made to shepherds. And we're going to focus on that today in Luke chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, we will go to Luke chapter 2. We will read verses 8 through 21. We'll also have it for you here on the screens. But I love for you, if you do have your scriptures, to go there with us. Again, it was in the midst of that darkness that there was an explosion of glory announcing the birth of a savior our savior Luke chapter 2 verse 8 and we'll read all the way to 21 reads like this in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night and the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear And on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. I love this. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb If I had to articulate these 13 verses into one maybe spectacular sentence I like to put it like this In an unlikely region to the lowest class came the greatest news and the highest praise In an unlikely region to the lowest class came the greatest news and the highest praise. It's from this sentence that I want to break today's message down into four sections. Unlikely region, lowest class, greatest news, and highest praise. You see, Bethlehem, Judea was an insignificant place. It was a, it was a unlikely region. You know, Spectacular cities like Rome and Syria were the centers of the world during this time. Even today, the centers of the world are in our big cities of New York and San Francisco. Rome and Syria were such as these. But Bethlehem, Judea was an unlikely place. Nobody respected Palestine. And those who lived in Palestine certainly cared less about the insignificant town of Bethlehem. Yet... God always chooses to reveal his glory in insignificant places to insignificant people. John Piper said this, God chose a stable so that no innkeeper could boast. He chose a manger so that no woodworker could brag. And God freely chose you and I that our only boast would be in him. I don't know about you, but I am certainly glad that God chooses the weak and insignificant things of the world to bring him glory. So how did Jesus end up in Bethlehem in the first place? Well, let me give you a little lesson in what I'm calling prophetic history. If you love history like I do, I think you'll like this part. Let me tell you a little bit of it. Let me give you a little bit of a history lesson. First of all, it all started with the very first emperor of Rome named Caesar Augustus. He was so skilled in his organization and administration that he ushered the entire empire into a time known as the Pax Romana or the Roman Peace. Now, Augustus understood that if he wanted to sustain peace and protect his borders, he needed soldiers And he needed money. So every 14 years, he required that every household in the entire empire would do two things. That every household would count two things. First, they would count the household income so he could tax them. And then secondly, they would count the military-age sons so he could enlist them into his army. Are you with me? So by decree of a pagan emperor who lived more than 800 miles away, Mary and Joseph left their home region of Nazareth, Galilee, and made the 90-mile trip to Bethlehem, Judea, because that's where Joseph was originally from, and that's where he had to go in order to be counted in this census. That's the history, but here's where the history becomes prophetic. Prophetic. 700 years before the birth of Christ, not only was Isaiah prophesying about a coming baby boy, but a man named Micah prophesied too. And this is what Micah said. Listen to what Micah said in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah from you, shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old and ancient days. So just in case you thought this was just kind of some vague prophecy, he says this baby is coming, but this baby is ancient. It's kind of an oxymoron. It's an ancient baby that will be coming. He was before, but he's coming to you. So let me put this prophecy into perspective. I'm going to geek out again. (laughs) Gerald, I thought about you. There are 322 Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus. And we're not talking about like the vague Nostradamus, right, horoscope type stuff that y'all like. But this is like real specific stuff. So let me blow your mind just for a moment. There was a professor of science named Dr. Peter Stone who wrote a book, and you can look it up, called Science Speaks. Some of y'all are going to look that up. I already know. And he wanted to know the statistical probability of one man randomly fulfilling all 322 Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. Now, thank God he makes people like that because I don't want nothing to do with that. Like, Can you imagine what it takes? Okay, a few of you, but I'm telling you, listen to this. He discovered that the odds of this happening were 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Right, okay. <laughs> Not impressive. To put this into perspective, he explains in his book what 1 in 10 to the 16th power would look like. Okay, this is 1 in 10 to 157th power. He just explains what 1 in 10 to the 16th power would look like. Are you ready? Cover the entire state of Texas. Why is it always Texas? probably because it's big. A foot deep in silver dollars, and then mark one of them. Then take a giant spoon. It's impossible. Stir them all up. Then catapult a blind man from Mexico. It's messed up. Into Texas. The probability of him landing and finding the single marked silver dollar on the first try. Will be one in 10 to the 16th power. And just in case you think that his math might be a little fuzzy, he was peer-reviewed by the American Science Association, who doesn't hold his same views regarding Christ, and they revealed that he was 100% accurate. Now, look, listen, because some of you are in here. To the unbelieving world, an accident and a coincidence. But to the believer, the sovereign hand... Of God moving the world and its rulers towards his purposes this is what prophetic history does in our crazy times it reminds us that God is completely and utterly in control over the nations and their kings even now as you look at the unrest of regions I want you to know, and even now, as you may even criticize our leadership of our nation, or you may love, it depends on what side you stand on, regardless of what you believe, the sovereignty of God in prophetic history teaches us that he doesn't look down and say, oh my God, what am I going to do next? Wait a minute, I am God. He's not surprised. He's not taken off guard. In fact, his hand is orchestrating history for his ultimate purpose. I want you to listen. Bethlehem was an unlikely region, and the shepherds were an unlikely people because they were in such a low class. I'm going to give you a little warning, all right? I'm going to ruin (laughs) some of your romanticized views of the shepherds during Christmas, okay? I'm going to ruin it today. Are you ready? Shepherds were low lives. They were the ultimate unskilled laborers. Many of them were rogue and criminal who couldn't be trusted with normal functioning jobs. Now, get this not only were they not allowed to worship in the temple, but they weren't even recognized as trustworthy witnesses in court. Listen, so with a criminal record, no real skills, and probably homeless shepherding became the ideal career path for these kind of outcasted men. Now, during this time, there were only two kinds of shepherds, a child or an adult male who had failed in life. But (laughs) to the lower class men tending sheep, In an unlikely region, something very prophetic and significant was taking place in their vocation. Let me explain. Bethlehem was only six miles from the holy city of Jerusalem. While shepherding in the fields of Bethlehem, shepherds could probably even see the temple from a far off distance. Most likely... To tend sheep in Bethlehem was not to raise them for wool, but to raise them to die. This is so profoundly ironic to me. These low-life criminals were literally keeping watch over those little lambs that would be raised to die for Israel's sins. Those guilty and condemned criminals, those lawbreakers, they were the ones in whom God was pleased to deliver the greatest news in the history of humanity. Let this blow your mind. The holy God chose the lowly criminal to reveal his greatest glory. The holy God, this is good news. This is the gospel. You got to catch it. The holy God chose to reveal his greatest glory to the lowly criminal. Now, why in the world would God do something as ridiculous as that? No human emperor, no human king, no human leader would ever choose to announce the coming of his son to such a low class. Why would he do that? Because the things of the world are not the things of God. He flips everything upside down. He doesn't do things like you and me. He doesn't think like us. I believe their vocation and their very existence personified the beauty of the truth of the gospel. This is truly the greatest news in the world. And for those of you that are striving in religion, for those of you that are guilty in sin this morning, I'm about to set you free right now. I'm going to tell you some, look at this. For unto us this day... In the city of David, a savior, one who will be called Jesus. He will call the Lord our savior. To the convicted criminal who has broken the law and who is guilty of sin, a lamb has been provided. A lamb has been provided. No, God does not turn a blind eye to sin. You want to hear the bad news? Yes, God pours his wrath out to lawbreakers and sinners. But to those who repent and believe in Jesus, their punishment has been borne by Christ on the cross. This is the great news that provides Christians with the greatest security that no other religion can offer because of what Christ has done. There's nothing that you and I can do to make God love us any less because we are supremely loved in Jesus. You know what else I kind of thought about? Not only in this story does God choose to reveal the greatest news in all of humanity, to the lowest class of people. But then he entrusts this news with them as well. And so the scriptures say they make haste and they begin to tell everybody what God had revealed to them. And remember, scripture says they begin to tell some, some began to think about these things. And scripture says that Mary began to treasure them. She put him in her heart and began to ponder deeply about what God had told the shepherds. That means that the shepherds, God revealed something to the shepherds that he didn't even reveal to Mary. And on the way back, they were glorifying Christ. Now, if this doesn't speak to us, then I don't know what, but God will always entrust his beautiful gospel to flawed men. And it will be the condemned rogue criminal who will preach the gospel to the world because they personify the beauty of what Christ has come to do. He has come to die in your place because we are guilty of our sins. Not only does he reveal this truth to the criminal, but then he entrusts criminals like me to preach his gospel. And if you're a follower of Christ, you're a criminal too, and he's entrusted you with this same gospel. I think it's fitting, after hearing the greatest news, that we finish this morning's message with the highest praise. I mean, if something's going to get the highest praise, it's got to be the greatest news. I mean, if it's okay news, it might get okay praise. But if it's the greatest news, then it deserves the highest praise. So it's fitting to finish this morning by giving God the highest praise. Listen to this. Like proud parents who extravagantly announce the arrival of their babies. Right? We get some really creative parents these days announcing the arrival of their children. Right? And I don't know if you, I'm going to do you a favor. YouTube gender reveal fails. Those are great. Those are wonderful. One in particular stands out in my mind. This guy's got a baseball bat. He's obviously a baseball player. And I just kind of I resonate with him a little bit. And I could tell that he really wants to reveal his baby, letting everybody know, yeah, I'm a baseball bat. And his poor wife, who probably never played a lick of baseball in her life, she has this ball that I believe has blue or pink in it, and she's just going to soft toss it to him, and he's going to just on video just you know, show that swing, and he's just a, you, you get what I'm saying? And so, that poor wife, it's, it's a soft toss, but it's all, it's way high and inside. There's no way homie's gonna eat, and you could tell he's a baseball player because he don't even try to swing. Like, if he wasn't a baseball player, he'd probably like, he'd probably do something like that. You could tell he was taking the pitch, you know, and, and and it's high and it's inside, and all of a sudden it just, and then it like, you know how YouTube be doing it? It's slow, much the, And I think it's even blue, and you could just see everybody like, fail, fail. <laughs> like proud parents who extravagantly announce the arrival of their baby, God the Father extravagantly announces the arrival of his son the dark skies shine bright that night it was like a divine explosion of glory in the sky no wonder why the shepherds were filled with fear we're told not one but a multitude of angels Some have suggested, thousands, others speculated, even millions began to sing like a choir. Glory to God in the highest. And I'm not sure we really ever stopped to think about the ramifications of that statement. Glory to God in the highest. In other words, God deserves the highest praise for all that he's doing in the birth of his baby boy. I want you to think about this, this Christmas. Of all the mind-blowing things God has ever done, including creating the universe and everything in it out of nothing. Right, some of you are like, well, I could create stuff. Yeah, well, create something out of nothing. No pre-existing materials needed. The birth of Emmanuel by far was the single greatest awe-inspiring work of God the angels had ever seen. This is remarkable. Think of all the things the angels get to see. Like think of all the things the angels get to see. Think of all the unknown, unseen complexities of God as they cry holy, holy, holy. In fact, some of them have to cover their eyes because they're in His throne. Think of all of the unseen, inexplicable, incredible, awe-inspiring things that the angels see that you and I are not aware of. Think of all the things that they have first-hand eyewitness to. Think about the moment that they heard God say, Let there be light. And in a moment, they saw billions of galaxies burst into existence. Astronomers, astronomers believe there were 3,000 billion trillion stars. The angels witnessed God do all that with a single word. And they still said, Yeah, that was good. But what we're experiencing tonight is better. The angels witness God do something that to this day Peter still tells us that they look at and they can not understand. Peter says that they long to know. They're so awestruck by what God did on Christmas. What the angels thought and still think today deserves their maximum wonder and admiration was this. 2,000 years ago, the creator of the universe covered himself in carne. He covered himself in flesh. He came to this earth that he created so that he could one day die for what he created are billions of galaxies with immerse energy, but the angels are in awe most by God's grace to rebellious sinners like you and I. There are billions of galaxies with immense energy angels are in awe most by God's grace towards rebellious sinners. Can I just say something? Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God In the highest. We thought we saw it all. We thought we seen it all. We thought we experienced his spectacular wonder. We thought what else could he do to top himself. But to this day in this moment in the heavens the angels still stare and wonder. Glory to God in the highest. The God of the universe put on flesh. And he dwelt among us and no religion understands that. Why would a God come down and become a man? And if he did come down, why would he choose a stable and not a palace? No king of the earth would ever introduce his son in this way. But glory to God in the highest because his wisdom is far above and beyond yours and I. And the angels still wonder, still long for, still take awe in the fact that god of the universe put on flesh he was born as a baby boy so that one day he could die for condemned criminals this christmas season as we have been celebrating and suffering as we have been experiencing the ups and the downs the sorrows and the joys and we've been anticipating celebrating the coming of Christ. Lord, we also as a church anticipate when you will come again. You will make all things new. And I just pray if there are any hearts in here today that are covered in darkness, that the same thing you did for creation when you said, let there be light, you'll also do to our hearts. And so I just pray if there's anyone who, doesn't know this beautiful King Jesus. I pray that they would humbly repent and believe the gospel. I pray, Lord God, that they would not make it about a, a list of rules. They would not make it about a list of wrongs and rights because they are, we are all condemned. We are all criminals. We all can't keep the law, but in Christ, we are made righteous. So I pray that we would embrace this Christmas truth and we would celebrate it. And even though the season might be culminating in two nights, two days, I pray that the church would always be the light in the dark until you return. So Father, will you bless us? Will you be with us as we give you the highest praise? Because you came down to the lowest place and brought your great news to the lowest people. And for that, we love you eternally. We are grateful for you. In Jesus' matchless name, we pray. Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus' beautiful name, we wonder and we are in awe. And we ask all these things in you.